there. I am Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you don't know me, I'm a licensed psychologist, trainer, and consultant. And on this podcast, we're talking about trauma, how talking about trauma and providing a space for patients and physicians to share their experiences is how we transform medicine. I work with physicians and healthcare organizations on the daily. And every time we begin these conversations, and I even hint about a discussion of trauma, I am met with two things, either intense, compassionate curiosity, or a whole lot of skepticism. And that's what we're here for, to make understanding and discussing trauma accessible, and even more important, how to respond to trauma so you feel more competent as a provider. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practice information and leave with tangible tools that you can use with patients or for yourself right away. So today I am talking with a special guest, Dr. Dominic Corrigan. Dr. Corrigan is a psychiatrist and physician coach with over 20 years of experience. He has published in numerous journals, has sat on a variety of committees and nonprofits, but he is self-proclaimed more balanced now in his role as coach and co-founder of Physicians Anonymous, which I am delighted to talk about uh, later. Welcome, Dominic. I'm so glad you're here. Amy, thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored to be here. Wonderful. I'm so glad you're here too. Well, let's start with, you know, the proverbial elephant in the room. If you're listening to this podcast, you can't see this, but if you're watching on YouTube, you will very quickly realize that Dr. Corrigan's camera is off and there is a picture there so that he can remain anonymous. Can you just provide us your own introduction and talk to us a little bit about the importance of this anonymity? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I was an incredibly high functioning, but uh, quite... Uh, I'd say pretty ill at times, a physician. So many of us are so good at just getting on with things, uh, building a mask, building, uh, surviving imposter syndrome. Um, and because of uh, smarts or training or a combination, we are just able to get through the difficulties of medicine for so long. It turns out that whilst on one hand I was you know, incredibly successful clinician, researcher, private practice, charities, and all that. On the other hand, I was deeply unhappy in medicine, and I developed recurrent burnout, then depression, then addiction, uh, and life came crashing down. Uh, And then I discovered, on a personal level, anonymous groups and the powers of these groups. Um, And I realized that there, there is something just so profound about being able to be in a space where people don't need to know your name, but they are there to share your shame, to share your joy, to share your deepest, darkest, but also your happiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's where the idea of Physicians Anonymous came from, was realizing that it's so difficult for doctors to get help. Uh, there is help out there, but we have enormous internal and systemic barriers to getting help as physicians. Um, and the result is that there's a, an epidemic of you know, poor mental health, of burnout, of addiction, and of physician suicide. Um, you know, the stats in the US are appalling: three hundred to four hundred doctors a year take their own lives. That is the uh, that is the statistic that's generally accepted. Although it's it's hard to get true facts on that. Um, but you know, we're we're not a healthy 
group of professionals, yet we have access to enormous resources. Mm. Um, and so I went through this experience. I found a 12-step program and the anonymity, but also the peer support uh, and the friendships and the spiritual development that came uh, with the 12-step program. I found that so powerful, but also I accessed therapy. I got the right medication and so on. Uh, and I'm you know, in a much, much better place. And I don't have that stress of clinical medicine anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as good as I was, without kind of blowing my own horn, uh, as good as I was a doctor, I am, for me, this is the right place. It's not necessarily uh, the right decision for everybody. Um, a lot of us, if we were able to reframe things, uh, understand our core values better, understand ourselves better, be more boundaried, I think we'd be a lot happier in work. Um, but for me, this was the right thing to to not for now be in clinical medicine. Um, so yeah, so there's the there's the anonymity is is so powerful, and we thought we would take the best of twelve steps um, and peer support and coaching, all of which have a good evidence base for helping people difficulty, but also specifically physicians, um, and bring those together under an organization, which we've called Physicians Anonymous, uh, which is on physiciansanonymous.org. The main thing is we run uh, groups which are entirely online. Uh, Names and cameras are entirely optional. They're doctor-only groups. They're facilitated by uh, at least one trained uh, doctor, and then usually two doctors, uh, at least one of whom has uh, coach training. Uh, and then sometimes, like yourself, uh, we were fortunate enough to get people with mental health training, uh, co-facilitating our groups as well. And so you, we get a nice mix of, of professional facilitation of, of our groups. Um, and they've been you know, incredibly popular. And I felt so privileged to be part of these groups and to, we can talk about it, but just to hear physicians physician stories and just how they've gone, wow, I wish I found this 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have so many questions about Physicians Anonymous and trying to help people access it. And I, I want to ask some specific questions about that in a moment, but I want to back up. I want to ask you um, more of a broad question, right? You were talking about experiences of trauma and burnout. Um, in your own terms, can you define those for people? Yeah, so, you know, the obvious one is is an awful exposure to some sort of awful event that people that that at the average person is not exposed to, and then the emotional reaction to that. Um, and I think that it, it's pretty obvious in places like the armed forces, in uh, in trauma medicine. Um, I, I think you see that you know, quite a lot, and that's commonly understood. But then I think there's the the micro traumas that all healthcare staff are exposed to, uh, and this can be anything from you know seeing a kid come in who's been a victim of abuse uh, to a victim of domestic violence to uh, seeing how the medical system itself uh, can can brutalize and, and trauma traumatize people, uh, and seeing how it also you know it's not necessarily compassionate and humane 
um, especially when it's incredibly tr- profit-driven parts of our system, uh, and and people aren't people profits are put before patients uh, mm-hmm. when when things are commercialized, um, and so it can be incredibly brutalizing to people who generally go into the caring professions because they want to help people. Absolutely. Um, and so, and I think the micro traumas add up over time. And if, like me, you think you can cope on your own um, and then you're wrong, I ended up you know, getting depressed and then finding addictive acting out was my way of coping. And that gave me a temporary relief from the stress of, of, bird, of ca- carrying the burdens of, of, of my patients as a psychiatrist. Um, and then... Yeah, and and then obviously addictions escalate and escalate, and things came to a crashing halt. Um, I, obviously, if I knew then what I know now, I'd find much healthier ways of coping. But that is what happened in the past, and and that's the life lesson for me. And um, you know, in some ways, I'd be a much better addiction psychiatrist um, because I've been on both sides of the uh, <laughs> of the psychiatrist chair, if you know what I mean. You know, it's interesting. Um, when I talk to professionals, and certainly there are those listening who probably have biases around addiction, what I say as a way to create empathy is that addiction is just another ritualized compulsive form of comfort seeking, right? Mm-hmm. So whether you exercise compulsively or you meditate or you are really boundaried about your sleep or you use pain medication or alcohol, those are all coping mechanisms that by the way, are really effective and work and Mm -hmm. calm your nervous system down. And so Mm -hmm. without the the alternative of a healthy coping mechanisms, people utilize what's available to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that earlier, right? That we're people with a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So two things on addiction. Uh, The first one is, uh, so Physicians Anonymous, despite sounding like you know alcoholics or narcotics anonymous is for doctors with any kind of difficulty uh, i'd say the vast majority of people that come to our groups and work with our coaches and mentors have career difficulties occupational injury in other words burnout mm-hmm. um, often difficulties around uh, bullying uh are coping with the trauma of being a doctor. Those are the commonest things. But yeah, of course, we have addicted doctors uh, seeking recovery or in recovery, um, people with mental health pasts, uh, all sorts of things, um, people with suicidal thinking that don't know where else to go. Um, so, you know, we, we cater to all. So it's not an addiction only uh, group, number one. And then number two, in my work it, with, with addicts over the years was my eyes were opened to the degree of trauma that is particularly uh, prevalent in in our population with addictive problems. Um, you know, when I compared my, my patients in general psychiatry uh, with my patients with addictions, their kind of trauma levels were were way higher, and it all made sense to me when I was thinking with the or looking with the eyes of of a recovered addict that actually it's about self-medicating or self-soothing uh, uh trauma Absolutely. um yeah yeah um and, and when you talk about these micro traumas and also some of the 
systemic oppressions of medicine and healthcare. Is that what you would say builds up that ultimately leads to burnout for physicians? I think it's a very personal journey for each doctor. We all have strengths um, and weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and and so on. So, in my case, it was a combination of my backstory, uh, the just the, I guess from very early in medical training, we are taught to develop a thick, leathery skin. It starts with dissecting human cadavers in anatomy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We go into the wards where people are dying left, right, and center. um, And, you know, and and it just goes on and on and on. And, And throughout our medical training, we're generally the first port of call as a resident uh, in a system that is vastly under-resourced. And then, of course, we're working excessive hours every week. We're sleep-deprived. Uh, we're disconnected from our loved ones because we are a slave to the hospital. Um, and, and all of these things sort of build up. Uh, and it's very difficult when you're a young doctor to be able to set boundaries because you're training. You need to do the hours on the one hand, but on the other hand, you need to get a good reference, etc. There's a whole discussion around residents and working conditions and the trauma that goes uh, along with that. Um, But yeah, so I think it's a very personal thing. Um, Some people will go into medicine incredibly resilient uh, and and have the right coping mechanisms and and somehow everything that's thrown at them uh, won't hit and and they will be able to, you know, feel it but bounce back from it. Uh, some people will not, and it's it's a there isn't a magic equation to explain. You know, it could happen to any of us, really. Um, it's the great leveler. I really appreciate you saying that everybody's journey is going to be different because I think one really powerful aspect of Physicians Anonymous and in, in your story that you share so vulnerably, thank you, is that we would never want someone to listen and say, oh, well, that's not me, so I'm not burned out, or oh, that's not me, so I don't need help, or I haven't seen as many bad things or been exposed to as much, you know, atrocity as another person, right? Mm -hmm. We really want them to honor their journey. Yeah, exactly. There's no, it's a bit like saying, um, if someone's grieving that, well, it's been three months or six months or one year, it's time to snap out of it. Everyone's journey is different. Yeah, there is, no, there is no right or wrong here. You know, it's interesting. The other thing you, you mentioned is, is this idea of boundaries. Um, let me throw something at you. So you're saying, right, we need to be able to have more boundaries. Um, uh-huh. And yet I think part of what hurts physicians is that they are, so boundaried in other ways, they don't get to be human. Can you speak to this like dichotomy of like, I should have no boundaries with my time, my energy, you know, what I give to medicine, but I should be very boundaried when it comes to, I am the professional and not a person. Totally. I think the, the process of one of my uh, colleagues in Physicians Anonymous calls it grooming in medical training. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really messed up, you know, considering how the people that develop the system, the people that became our 
early doctors uh, and, and nurses and psychotherapists and so on. And their hearts were all in the right place, you know, that no one went into it because it was, uh, you know, a great money, great source of money. Um, you know, it, people go into medicine, I'd say the vast majority of reasons they start off because they want to make a difference to people and help people and make the world a better place. Um, and the same for you know any of the caring professions. And then something happens in med school residency and our, our medical careers where, um, where I think priorities get twisted um, and, and we have to develop coping mechanisms. So you're absolutely right. There's in some ways we can be so unboundaried and in some ways we can be too boundaried. And I think we remember these you know, 18 year olds, 20 year old kids effectively who are training to become doctors. You know, you're in your early to mid twenties by the time you're a, a young doctor on the wards, it's, um, you know, we have an enormous amount of maturing to happen. Uh, and, but there's all these micro traumas uh, and also learning modeling from our, our, you know, seniors, some of whom um, are, are amazing, uh, all of whom are incredibly bright and accomplished, but some of whom are very damaged as well. Um, and so we're, we're picking up on all these ways of coping and dealing with patients and colleagues and so on. And what it adds up to is um, we learn that we cannot say no to anything related to patient care, no matter how empty our cup is, we have to keep on pouring. Yeah. Um, and that includes when a hospital administrator or your, your medical boss asks you to pull an extra shift because someone's off sick or whatever. And then you miss your kid's birthday party or your wedding anniversary uh, or those essential eight hours of sleep that you needed because the system needed you. Um, and, and I think, I think it's a really difficult call for the doctor, the young doctor who is in that position at that time. It's a really difficult call. But it's not right that people are put under that pressure. There, there should always be a safety net, if you know what I mean. And you used this term a moment ago that, you know, I, I admittedly makes me feel a little sick to my stomach, but I think it's accurate, which is grooming. Mm -hmm. Right? It, it's coming as you said, from nobody with malice, but from a, an entire historical system of performative measures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the performative measures are a relatively new thing, you know, um, auditing your, your uh, electronic health records and your surgical outcomes and all of that. That's, that's pretty new. Um, but prior to that, there, there was, a, I think, a really toxic culture in a lot of training organizations where you know it was trial by humiliation um it would be the, the young doctors or the med students in front of the professor and he'd be firing questions um mm -hmm. and you know if you didn't know the answer you humiliated mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember the series scrubs yeah. um, from yes. from a few years ago i mean there's it, it's brilliant because it's and it's it's so funny, but it is also in many ways so accurate. I know they're caricatures, but, you know, some of the stuff that goes on there is based on real medicine. You know, the, the physicians that I've discussed this with go, it's accurate, yeah? So, um, so there is a toxicity there, yeah? But then the other boundaries that we have, uh, so on the one hand, we have no boundaries when it comes to giving um, and, and saying no. 
Um, but then the other boundaries are I have to be consummate professional. I can never show emotion or weakness or vulnerability. And, and this just gets messed up. Uh, and so, and I can relate to that. So you finish your shift, it's midnight, lost a, a kid in the ER, and you're the senior doctor there, and you just want to talk to someone. You just want to cry on someone's shop, but there is no one to talk to. Your wife's asleep. Um, the, you know, you are the head doctor there. There is just no one to talk to. And, and you if you were, to, you don't want to traumatize your wife and wake her up and tell her about this. Well. You could, and and a lot of medical marriages um, have that stuff, that kind of resource and support built in. And there's a whole, you know, I'm sure podcast on uh, medical spouses and and partners, and you know the the, the trauma, but also the, the wonderful support that happens in there. And every relationship is different, but but yeah, you're right. You don't want to. The point is, you don't want to bother someone. You don't want to wake someone up. And so that's why we wanted to have organically growing, but hopefully available many days a week in many different time zones at many hours, uh, a group that any doctor around the world can drop into. That's the, the long-term vision for Physicians Anonymous. Because right now, if I'm an alcoholic and I want to get onto an AA meeting, I literally go to aa.org and um, I can find an online meeting and I can be in a room with people who will understand me and not judge me within a few minutes. And that's what we want for doctors to be able to reach out at any time. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a, if I'm a physician and, and maybe you can offer from your perspective or from stories that you've heard, what are some of the flags that maybe you saw early on and missed, or that you'd like other people to look for when it comes to like realizing they, they are, in a state of trauma leading towards burnout, what, what are some flags that they should be looking for? So much. I don't even know where to start. But I think if we start with a baseline acceptance that medicine is traumatizing mm. and even uh, and, and the people that say it isn't, either they're blessed with incredible resilience and, 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 and an ability to you know, have trauma like water off a duck's back, or they're in denial about it and they're just defended and the trauma is hurting them, they won't allow themselves to feel it. Mm. Um, so I guess, so, so red flags around, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an umbrella here. I'm going to say whether it's burnout, whether it's overwhelm, uh, whether it's as um, Pamela, Dr. Pamela Weibel calls it, um, uh, human rights violation that happens in, to doctors working in a system that's under-resourced, uh, whether it's moral injury, as other experts call it, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's the onset of, of depression or addiction. I'm going to just call it as doctor in distress. Okay. Um, and it, of course, all these things can present in so many different ways. But for me, the key things were... Um, working harder to try and cope. So instead of cutting back and taking breaks and holidays, I would, my working hours went up, but my mm -hmm. efficiency went down. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wasn't coping. I couldn't concentrate. Um, I, I couldn't remember stuff. My memory got impaired. Um, 
God knows what whether I was making good decisions or not. Thank God, you know, to my knowledge, there was no adverse events. Um, but you know, the, when things were building up, you know, I should have been on medical leave. But of course, I was good at. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yep, absolutely. I was, uh, I, I was good at bullshitting. I, I, you know, and I think doctors can be really good actors. Um, we we have to learn to put on a face of competency, um, you know, a mask of 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 compassion, but mm-hmm. uh, super competence, because that's what patients need. They need to have confidence in you that you're a competent physician. So so it's an important developmental phase. But at the same time, if you're unable to break that mask when you need to. Uh, then it's, I think it's, it's unhealthy. So yeah, so overworking, becoming less efficient and effective. Um, you know, the quality of my work definitely dropped. Um, and then my, it was showing in my body. So uh, my sleep was disrupted. Um, my appetite would be either up or down, resultant changes in weight. Um, and it showed in my, in my relationships, you know, my working relationships became more, more fraught. Normally, I get on with everybody, uh, and my personal relationships have put my marriage under strain. Um, these are very subtle things because they don't just switch on one day; um, they develop over time. But those would I say would be the main red flags. And then, of course, something I never spoke with anybody about was thinking, "Well, maybe the world would be better off without me," mm. um, which I look at with the eyes of recovery and I, I cannot understand that this seemed like a logical like choice for me at the time. Mm-hmm. But at the time I, I couldn't see my way through and, and it just, I can totally empathize now with my patients who, who couldn't see an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, so, but the problem is, you know, people, to, for the vast majority of people don't talk about their feelings, especially when it's things like suicidal thinking. So if I'm a, am I, if I'm a physician and I'm having these, mm. these manifestations, right. And working more to cope, I'm having memory and concentration issues, it's feeling less efficient, sleep, appetite, relational strain. Um, and this feeling of, Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe the world mm. would be better off. Any of those, right? Mm. Any, any of those. Um, how do I reach out for help? So the most important thing is to reach out to someone, anyone. Do not suffer on your own. We're so good at holding stuff inside and just somehow getting through it and we and we do not need to we once the dam broke and i was able to talk openly to people the sheer amount of compassion and understanding and sympathy and empathy and people going oh my god i know exactly what you're going through i went through x um suddenly knowing i'm not alone and we are not alone, but it feels so alone. So reach out, and it doesn't matter really to anybody. And if you don't get a result for the first person you reached out to, reach out again, mm-hmm. because um, you know people do care. Mm-hmm. 
people know stuff is going on, but they don't know how to ask and they, they're afraid and to, to approach you and stuff, you know, people realize, you know, like my loved ones knew something was up. They didn't know what was up there. So, and it could be someone you trust. It could be, you know, within your friends or your family group, it could be your family doctor. It could be a therapist, um, it could be a counselor, it could be an anonymous organization. Um, there's the physician support line. Uh, which hopefully you can you can give yeah, the link I'll to, link to um, and of course there's physicians anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, the point is to not suffer alone. So so thank you for that. And maybe there's a physician listening to this. I know there there will be. Maybe there's though a spouse or a colleague who's listening who's worried about someone that they love. Mm. Is there any? Think somebody could have said to you or done or reached out right when they're they're listening to this right now saying oh my gosh that's my husband or that's my wife or that's my business partner or um anything that 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 would have helped bridge the gap for you so um i'm an incredibly stubborn person <laughs> uh, and, and my defenses were so well built up that i look back and i mean you know, my wife tried many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I hadn't been such a stubborn, um, know-it-all physician, uh, maybe I would have listened to her. I, I made a huge mistake in not listening to her, and it caused enormous damage to this day, and I, I, I regret it. Um, but, yeah, I was way too important and busy and in control, although not really. Uh, to to listen to you know people that that love me so but if you are in that position there is nothing wrong with expressing concern mm-hmm. saying you know, how are you are you okay are you sure you're okay mm-hmm. here's why I'm worried about you mm-hmm. um, and you can bring a horse to water but you can't make a drink um, mm-hmm. if someone wants to be um, obstinate like I was. I probably still am. Um, there's only so much you can do within your within your own power. It's a bit like in, in my addiction fellowship, the serenity prayer. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So, you know, keep keep on trying, but at the same time, you you can't force the person to open up. They've yeah. got to do it on their own time. And, and I, what I would add to people that might be listening is keep asking because you never know mm. a little seed gets planted and your spouse or your colleague or your friend circles back later and says, you know, mm-hmm. a couple months ago when you said you were worried about me, you were right. Exactly. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be instant results. The point is you let them know that you're there for them and you can be trusted. Uh, fear is such a big barrier for doctors. You know, yeah. I would, I would, I would never have gone to like you know any of my seniors and spoken mm-hmm. about my problems because I would have thought they'd fire me. They would have yeah. you know sent me to an impaired doctor program, um, and probably they would have, and probably they should have, not mm-hmm. fire me, but send me sent me to, for, for help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fear of those consequences that actually stopped me. And the result is, of course, it was a much bigger rock bottom than if I had 
gotten help earlier. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those, another one of those life experiences, I guess. So walk me through if, if right now I'm listening and I think this is me um, and how soon could I be part of a meeting with other providers that are, that, that could support me? How, how do I sign up for it? Where do I find out about this? Okay. So go on to physiciansanonymous.org uh, and sign up there mm-hmm. and the system uh, we have a, a checks and balances system. We don't ask for any personally identifiable details, um, but we we have uh, certain ways of checking that people are legitimate doctors. And if we're not sure, we might call you up and just have a um, a, a, a non-video call with you. Um, and if if you're really fearful, you can set up a private email address. Your Gmail or other providers are available. Um, we, we suggest people don't use their institutional emails, but you're perfectly, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, reach out to us, join, join the, you have to be a member, which is free. Uh, and then you go on to the uh, tab, which is anonymous groups. And there's a scheduling software there and you can see where the next group is uh, available. Oh, it's, it's free. It's anonymous. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. going to be surrounded by other physicians. I'm mm-hmm. going to be in a group with some coaches who are supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. That's incredible. So, and it'll be at least one, if not two physicians themselves who are facilitating. Wow. Um, and all of whom have a personal experience of burnout and recovery from burnout uh, and and a passion for and an interest in in this space. Uh, many of us have other experiences: addiction, mental illness, um, problems with uh, state licensing boards. Uh, you name it. We've we've, we've done everything, um, and we're fortunate enough to have a number of psychotherapists and um, coaches who who are passionate about the space, but may not be doctors themselves but mm-hmm. you know are, are highly qualified in different ways uh, on the facilitators um uh, resource so there's not as many groups as we'd like we are growing organically um because we're self-funding and kind of donation based at the moment um we are uh, only growing as fast as we can um but but all of our facilitators are volunteers and it's just a matter of setting up the next group on the system in the right time zone and having facilitators who are prepared to commit to an hour a week um, and go through our very easy training program um, uh, like like we were just discussing before this meeting um, and yeah and then if you're if you're interested in that people drop me a line if they want to become facilitators themselves. Uh, sorry, this has become a punt for getting oh, more facilitators is- and growing the groups. But uh, <laughs> but if you're in, in difficulty, come and join our groups. Um, uh, if you, I should just say, if you are um, you know, at high risk of harm to yourself, if you are uh, mentally ill, um, of course, you're very welcome at our groups. But I would also urge you to get the the kind of the most appropriate help. So we're we're not resourced to be a suicide uh, prevention line. We're not a clinical resource. We are 
uh, an anonymous peer support group. Um, and so there are things that we can do that other people can't, but there's also things we can't do that um, other professionals would be best um, best suited for for your needs. But wherever you are on that journey, um, Physicians Anonymous will hope to be there uh, to support you. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I hope that people that are listening right now um, just take pause and hear Dr. Corgan's words around some of these red flags, um, the need to decrease shame and judgment in this area. Thank you, Dominic, for normalizing this conversation. I know so many of your peers and so many of their partners and um, both partners in marriage and romance, but also partners in work um, are listening to this and it's gonna change someone's life. Um, I, I really believe there are people in this world that are light makers and you are a light maker for other physicians. So I, I thank you so much. Um, thank you. What's created meaning for you on the other side of this? Ooh, wow. That's a big question. How much time have you got? Um, <laughs> do you know, it was a recent meeting where I had a physician who had macro trauma and micro trauma and had everything thrown at them. And they, it was their first ever Physicians Anonymous meeting. And I'm, I'm not going to give any more detail than that. But they said at the end of the meeting, God, I wish I had, I had something like this 20 years ago. Um, and I thought, I thought, wow, this, this makes it all worth it. You know, if we can, through all these efforts, if we can make difference to one person one physician's life um uh you know if we can help them through a, a difficulty where they may have ended up you know crashing out of medicine or worse crashing out of life if we can make a difference to, to one life then this is all worth it um and you know because it's happened to me i really hope that other people will get help earlier and and you know can carry on practicing because we're terribly short of, I think the projection is 10,000 physicians short by 2030, if I remember correctly, yeah. not to mention nurses um, and all of the other caring professions, you know, and that's the state's flow, never mind globally. Mm -hmm. We also have a very, we have a global view. Um, you know, burnout is not an American problem. It's, it's a global problem. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, you know, we're so much better off in the States than, uh, than in other countries, um, you know, with with much bigger resourcing issues than we have, and um, and yet, you know, we, we don't even know what the data is in these countries because no one has the time to to do the burnout survey. So, you know, we want to be a global resource, but um, yeah, we I, I really hope that you know, Alcoholics Anonymous started seventy years ago in a in a church basement in Akron, Ohio, um, and now it's a global organization and. Mm. You know, without trying to sound like a, what's the word, a megalomaniac, um, you know, I think there's such demand for it that I really hope that it just continue to grow organically. Um, and it's not something that a couple of people can do in a basement. It's got to be done through community effort. Mm -hmm. um, and so much like with 12-step programs, once you've You've kind of gone through the steps and you're in a good place then you go on to sponsor somebody else and you spread the word in that way and it's a self-perpetuating um kind of 
virtuous machine. And that's what, what we, we really, our vision is for Physicians Anonymous to be kind of a, a one-stop resource for physician well-being. Um, I yeah. Hope, I, hope, I hope that too, for sure. Um, okay. After you told me how traumatizing it is to have rapid fire questions, I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions, but I think they're, they're fun. So no shame, no, no, no humiliation. Um, and then we'll wrap up and all of the resources that Dominic has talked about, um, we will put in the show notes so that people can get in touch with this organization. Um, but uh, let's see, just first thing that comes to mind, what is one thing that people get wrong about physicians? Uh, that we are not human beings. Mm-hmm. That we're superheroes without feelings. If you could go back and talk to young Dr. Corrigan, what would you tell him? Listen to your wife, you idiot. <laughs> oh, that should be on a bumper sticker for, for most husbands. <laughs> um, uh, often in healthcare, patients are intimidated by professionals. Um, you've shared so much in our talk, which I, I'm, I'm so thankful for. Um, will you tell us uh, one maybe more lighthearted factor that just makes you a messy human being? <laughs> okay, you use the word messy. Uh, like, so clinically, super neat and obsessional. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really messy in my home life. It's terrible. It's embarrassing. I, I would never let a patient see you know, <laughs> my, my workshop or, or my bedroom. It's just, uh, <laughs> I blame being too busy to actually sit down and sort stuff out. Okay. That's my, that's my excuse. Awesome. Awesome. Last question before we wrap up. It's 11 p.m. and you have a food craving. What do you reach for? three words Ben and (laughs) but there are other varieties of ice cream available (laughs) Ben and Jerry's do you have a favorite (laughs) fish food oh of course okay you know you you were like uh, Ben and Jerry's must be a go-to for physicians at 11 o'clock at night (laughs) (laughs) so funny you are not the first um, thank you so much. Thank you for what you are putting out into the world. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for the vulnerability today so that just one other person might listen to this podcast and hear something. And as I said, all of this will be in the show notes, but thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for creating a space in which I felt able to share. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I want to express gratitude for the amazing work that you do for our physicians. I mean, you know, I just found out about your um, organizational wellness course for healthcare professionals that, that you run. Um, I didn't even know about it. It's, there's so much good stuff out there, um, and yet we don't we don't know about it. So, um, and you've been reaching out to to so many people um, and and helping them. So I thank you for your work, and um, it's a real privilege to be in the same space as you, Amy. Thank you. Oh, you as well. Thank you. 
All right. Well, that's it, friends. Um, anything that we mention on the podcast will be in the show notes. Nothing fancy, but I want to make sure that all the websites and links that guests refer to are included there for you. Um, the best thing you can do for yourself is go to my website, www.dramyllc, that's doctor spelled out, Amy LLC, and subscribe to my newsletter. It's free, it's for providers, and it's got tons of relatable information to help you transform your practice. And it comes out every Every week in a newsletter. Also, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge. It's a learning collaborative to build resilience in primary care. It's a membership for physicians, physicians assistants, and nurse practitioners to have access to all of my training materials regarding resilience building and creating those buffers of relational health. So it's a little bit content and it's a lot community. We meet monthly, sometimes more, and you can get continuing medical education, all like getting doses of important information. And if we're honest, like a little touch of therapy. So part content, part community. It's really an incredible group of providers who work together in a learning collaborative and lean into conversations about trauma, building resilience, and other tough questions that come up in primary care. Folks, this is the most important medicine. Please keep listening to people's stories. Let them transform you. And please keep sharing your own stories because your humanity will help to heal others. All right, we'll talk soon.